This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next-generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Rubin. And today I'm joined by Josh Mahoney, Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate in Arkansas, hoping to win the Democratic nomination and ultimately kick out Senator Tom Cotton. Josh, thanks so much for coming on today. Ah, Nathan, thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to visit. Yeah, we're, we're pumped to have you. And anything we can do to help flip the Senate uh, is going to be a good, good thing for us and good thing for everyone else. So um, let's jump right into it. On your website, you describe yourself as a small business owner, a nonprofit leader. Um, and I believe this past cycle, you also ran for Congress in what's the most Republican uh, district in Arkansas. So what about that experience and what about your pr- professional background uh, led you uh, to run for the U.S. Senate this time around? Well, you know, there's a couple of things. And looking at my background, being a small business owner involved in small business, uh, you know, I know the challenges of what that's like in a rural state and uh, the pitfalls that can come up and, and just what it's like to kind of uh, make sure that people are in a position to have jobs, make sure that careers are being developed out there. So they're going to earn the wages that are going to provide them with a, a you know good quality of life for themselves and their families. And then on the nonprofit side, a lot of the, what I've done there has been involved in access to education. Um, and I was president of a program called the Arkansas Single Parent Scholarship Fund, where we give out about 1,400 scholarships a year. I led us through redesign uh, to make sure that we weren't just focusing on people that want to go to college, but also making sure that we were catering to trades and apprenticeships and certifications, because in a rural state like Arkansas, those are going to be a lot more of the job opportunities you're going to have, especially in our rural communities, which is the bulk of our state. And uh, you find out that the challenges of people that were our applicants are really the story of everybody in Arkansas and they're the story of a lot of the South and the Midwest. And I felt like I'd done as much as I could on the nonprofit side. So I wanted to get involved on in the policy side. Um, and, you know, running the race against uh, Congressman Womack here in the third district, it's a plus 19 Republican. It's been red since 1966. Uh, we knew we were running an uphill battle, but uh, we made some nice gains. We outraised anybody in the last 10 years for this area by about 256%. Um, we added about 17,000 new voters uh, for the Democratic side. And uh, we did that with uh, some really smart college kids and myself. And so taking what I learned on that, getting together with uh, a lot of high caliber talent uh, in and outside of the state, you know, really puts us in a good place to have the firepower uh, and uh, knowledge to get cotton out of office. So you said that the congressional district that you ran for in 2018 had been red since 1966. And I couldn't help but think back in our history, gee, what would have happened in the mid 60s to flip that district from blue to red must have been the civil rights bill. That's exactly what it was. It has been read since the Civil Rights Act of 64. So what's interesting about that to me is that's probably not too dissimilar from the rest of the the Red South, if you will. I'm curious, how do you see a path to victory winning statewide in Arkansas? 
Well, you know, even when Arkansas was a blue state, the, the third district has always been red. And so, you know, the thing that we have to do is we have to, of course, get our independence out. Uh, we've got a, a decent amount of Democrats in the state. But the other thing we've got to do is we've got to build a little bit of a new voter universe, too. And I think they're out there. Uh, you know, the uh, administration and some of the uh, uh, trying to think of the better, best way to put that, uh, they have given people reason to be engaged that may not they may not have had before. Uh, yeah, that's a good way to put it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And then, you know, right now, too, uh, we're an agricultural state as well. And uh, Senator Cotton has continually attacked the farm bill. Uh, when we were talking about tariffs the other day, you know, he was on national television um, telling farmers that they needed to take their struggles on the chin and just tough it out. Uh, but, you know, he really should have been out there fighting for the farmers because, you know, the thing that we don't talk about when we talk about the tariffs or the markets that, uh, you know, where the soybeans go and the rice that comes out of Arkansas are moving to places like Venezuela. And those aren't going to come back the day after the tariffs end. So we need to make sure that uh, these relationships that our farmers have built up and the businesses that are in farming in the state are going to be there and keep providing for our farmers. Otherwise, we've done irreparable harm to them. And our farmers are very much, uh, they know what's going on. And so much of our state depends on that, the eastern half. Uh, when they turn their back on you, which I, I think they're starting to do on Senator Cotton, that certainly helps us a lot, too. In the, the tariffs that you mentioned, those are obviously in the escalating trade war with China. Um, and there, there, there was a lot of uh, trade between farmers in China when it comes to soybeans, I, I gather. And the thing about farming is you can't exactly retool a farm and, and pivot and start producing something new. You kind of have to grow your crop and, and sell it or you don't. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about the plight of farmers in, in Trump's trade war? You know, you hit the nail on the head with that. You can't stop and really just jump into growing something else. You know, when you're growing soybeans or rice, like, you know, there are certain particular conditions for that that you have to have. And you have to have your fields irrigated a certain way and making sure that the water, you know, rice virtually grows in a, you know, almost a, a, a pool of water. And you're not going to be able to just go put corn in that or something like that. And, you know, the other thing that goes along with that is uh, climate's an issue, too. Uh, so, you know, whereas rice and soybeans may be very, uh, you know, acceptable to the environment in Arkansas, there's other crops that may not like it as much too. And so you, not only would you not be able to pivot, you can't pick up and move to a different temperate zone, uh, that's going to be more suitable to another crop as well. So there's so many different challenges there. And, uh, you know, we had record flooding in Arkansas, uh, in the last few months as well. And uh, between that, between the tariffs, it has really hit our farmers very hard. And uh, you can imagine farming is a high risk, high overhead business. And when you have chosen not to support these people that not only feed Arkansas, they feed the country in a lot of places, uh, uh, you know, several parts of the world, uh, you know, it's doing a disservice to them. But it's there's so much more than that in the sense of uh, you're not respecting the work that these people put in with their hands and feet for so little. Uh, at the very least, you can show up and advocate on their behalf and look for ways to solve trade deals that don't involve tariffs. I mean, they, you don't throw out the old deal until you have a new deal in place. And for some reason, uh, we have decided not to take that reasonable approach to making sure everybody's uh, making more money and uh, have a deal that works out for everyone. 
So I think another interesting thing, especially what caught my eye um, as I started to, to follow you and you came on my radar, is that you're not afraid to throw a punch. You, you opened with an ad, um, very well done. I think it's called Terrible Tom Cotton on YouTube. I encourage everyone to go find it. Um, I couldn't help but, but chuckle as I watched it. Um, you know, I think there are quotes in there from his, his colleagues in the Senate saying that he's rude, he's the most disliked senator. The Tom Cotton approach has no viability here. He's become sort of the Steve King of the Senate. I think Tom Cotton's kind of rude. You know, he just is not very friendly. It was so obvious, listening to the DHS secretary, listening to Tom Cotton, it was so obvious that they were lying. You even cite some polls in there that he's trailing um, a generic uh, opponent by, I think, 10 points or so. Oh, GOP candidate Tom Cotton is losing by 10 points. That's what happens when you want to gut Medicare, cut Social Security, and essentially ban abortion. Um, so you haven't been afraid to go negative early on. Talk me through your thought process. We know who Senator Cotton is, and we know that... He's not going to play a, a nice race or a fair race. And uh, we do have to be willing to throw punches. And, you know, what's really interesting with this ad, too, is we didn't really go through and say things about it. We let his own words say things about it. We let Senator Lindsey Graham say things about him. We let his constituents that were angry that he was trying to take their health care away say things about him. And so it's almost, you know, showing people who he is by the interactions he has with others in a, a very public way. And, uh, you know, being willing to get in and I don't want to say get dirty, but let's get our hands and feet in here and fight for our cannons. Let's take it to the parking lot if we need to. Uh, I think the people of our, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, that's, that's what we got to do sometimes. And, uh, I think the people of Arkansas are pretty tired of having a Senator that has been running for president since the moment he got elected to office. And uh, who's obviously forgotten them. And, you know, Cotton's major contributors, of course, are Goldman Sachs, the Koch brothers. Uh, he's working for Wall Street. He's taken a lot from telecom, the defense yeah. industry. He, he's always interested in bombing exactly. somebody. And you know what? None of that does us any good here in Arkansas. And uh, the large majority of my state are people busting their butts every day just to get by week to week. And uh, we need careers in our state. Uh, we need opportunities for us to build lives in our communities that we've grown up in so we don't have to move to the uh, few places that are, you know, uh, a little bit more affluent in the state or much less move out of the state. Uh, none of the stuff he's done has served us. And so, you know, I'll even have questions sometimes about, you know, are you approaching this as a Democrat-Republican divide? And I'm like, no, I'm approaching this as a, an Arkansas Wall Street, Washington elitist divide. And uh, I want to make sure that the people of Arkansas have that opportunity for prosperity where they live in the state. Absolutely. And when I think about um, your potential role in the Senate, if the Democrats are able to flip the Senate um, and take back the White House and hold on to the House of Representatives. Obviously, this is a, a dream scenario uh, for a lot of uh, progressive activists out there. But hey, there's always a chance, right? So if you do you know, make it up there January 2021, we take over all three branches of government, or excuse me, at least both, both chambers of Congress, would you be in support of some of these, uh, you know, 
uh, emblematic of the leftist wing of the Democratic Party, these these initiatives like Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, maybe expanding the Supreme Court. Tell me, where do you fit in um, with the ideology of the Democratic Party? Well, you know, I, I think there's a, a lot of good ideas within those concepts. You know, in Arkansas, it's very interesting. So, you know, I've always been a fan of Medicare for all, but as I've gone around the state, you do find that there are a lot of people that like their private insurance but are very supportive of a public option that would be extended through Medicare. So, you know, I, I've sort of abridged what I'm working on a little bit to make sure that uh, the folks that do have private insurance are able to keep that. But at the same time, you know, we have a lot of people in Arkansas that are working two jobs. You uh, run into this uh, several times, the single parent scholarship fund uh, where you would have a mom that's working two jobs and she doesn't uh, make enough money for private insurance, but she's making too much money to, uh, you know, accept or, or qualify for any type of uh, government aid. And so now she's in a position of having to choose to feed her family or, or pay for her medical prescriptions. Uh, one of the worst stories that I ran into that still breaks my heart. Uh, I met a woman in Fort Smith, Arkansas last cycle that she was in her early sixties, not quite old enough for Medicare. She had saved up a hundred thousand dollars over the course of her life. Uh, with the intention of giving it to her grandchildren so they could use it to go to college. Uh, she did not have private health insurance and uh, she needed a coronary bypass and she decided to forego the surgery and, you know, see how long she can tough it out because that money is meant for her children to go to school. And we should never be putting people in that position. Um, so I think having that public option where anybody that wants Medicare can have it is important. And that's what's going to make sure that we uh, maintain and live up to the right of healthcare for everyone. Uh, but still, you know, if somebody wants Cadillac insurance and they want to pay for it, my gosh, you know, let's let you do that too. I think there's room for both. Um, you know, and you mentioned the Green New Deal. Uh, with my energy background, you know, I was a natural resource company that I grew up in and owned part of for almost 20 years. I've got a lot of great transparency and insight to energy. And, and I got to tell you, we are absolutely moving to sustainable energy. And so whenever I see anybody try to characterize sustainability as something negative, I, I have to laugh uh, because all of our energy corporations know that we are moving to a sustainable energy economy. Um, even in my own state, you know, we have seen Intergy start working on solar farms, different places. Uh, one of the things I'm very excited about with sustainability is uh, there's a concept called selfish sustainability. And uh, it would be, let's go to our farmers. Let's pick out the fields that, uh, you know, are going to be good for growing crops because uh, the minerals are, you know, depleted and it's not worth it re-enriching. And uh, let's let them build a solar farm on there to cut down their production costs uh, and let them write that off. And let's do the same thing for our poultry growers in Arkansas put those on top of chicken houses. So when you or I buy something from Tyson chicken or we buy rice or anything else like that, you know, we've helped our farmers save more money. But at the end of the day, that also means that we've gotten a cheaper product too. And if that means when people go to the grocery store, they're saving $5 every week or $10, that goes a long way for people in Arkansas and people in Mississippi and Louisiana who are having to work so hard just to get by. So what's interesting is I think you the term you used was selfish sustainability. Was that right? Yeah, yeah. 
I like that. I like that. And I think, you know, when you when you start to take a look at where some of the economic opportunities are, especially with the way that solar and other uh, renewable energies like wind have been developing, there are more jobs in these renewable energy sources. Um, and like you said, they're becoming cheaper and cheaper. Um, ultimately, they're going to save producers and consumers a fair amount of money. So doesn't it make kind of a, a isn't the conservative argument to look at it from a capitalist perspective and say, hey, if these are better jobs and if, hey, if these can produce goods for cheaper, isn't that where we want to go? And it sounds like the the market is already moving in that direction. It, it absolutely is. And, and that's one of the reasons I, I talk about the, that way, because, you know, I, I'm a huge environmentalist. And I think if you're a pro-business, you've got to be pro-environment because you're investing in the long-term health of the world as a whole. I mean, my gosh, you know, you can't buy anything if there's to uh, if we're going to die from breathing the air. I mean, it, it, that's sort of me pulling stuff out arbitrarily to characterize my fears of climate change. But when you do the right thing, you save money in the long run. And so when I talk about things like sustainability, I, I love to point out that this is going to save you money. This is the fastest growing job market in the country. There are trade jobs here. There are skilled labor jobs here. There's manufacturing jobs that are coming from this. And, you know, when we look to finally uh, taking on infrastructure that we have desperately needed to, we're going to have to start updating our power grid in different ways. And sustainability is going to be a part of that. And that's another place where we're going to start creating those jobs. And in some instances, you know, particularly when we talk about selfish sustainability, it may mean that I'm not necessarily connected to the grid uh, in a way that I typically was before, but I'm certainly driving down my consumer cost and my production costs. Hey everyone, I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And as you know, Millennial Politics is totally independent and volunteer run. That means every podcast you listen to, every article you read, and every tweet you see is created by a dedicated team of volunteers. It also means that we can say what we want to say when we want to say it, but we rely on listeners just like you to support our work. We hope you'll consider supporting us by subscribing at patreon.com slash millenpolitics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates, causes, and organizations. And if you subscribe at the ambassador level or more, we'll send you a free copy of How Our Government Really Works Despite What They Say. It's an award-winning book about the intricacies of American government. And you'll get to join our exclusive ambassador Slack channel and get to hang out with us all day, every day. I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash M-I-L-L-E-N politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. So it sounds to me... You have a strong background with natural resources. That was uh, where your entrepreneurial experience came from. If you had to tell our listeners kind of the top three issues that you're going to run your campaign on, what would they be? Uh, top three, number one is going to be healthcare because I believe that healthcare is right and everyone should have essential healthcare benefits. Number two is careers and education. And I put those together because I want people to have a career where they're from. And careers can be, uh, you know, going through and gaining an apprenticeship, learning a trade, getting a certification, or getting a degree. You know, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of free community college, making sure that we have trade schools back in our public high schools and things like that that have concurrent college credit 
So when I graduate from high school in Blytheville, Arkansas, I already have a trade under my belt. I've already got credit. I have no debt. And I can go out and start making money that's going to take care of me and my children and provide a future for them. And then uh, number three, I want to make sure that people are earning wages equal to their hard work, which, you know, it is a living wage. I think that uh, we need to have conversations about what that number is. I, I like to actually look at it a bit more about cost of living uh, because in Arkansas, you know, in my hometown of El Dorado, the cost of uh, uh, living is, is fairly cheap. And so a living wage there might be a little less than it would be in downtown Chicago. And so those are things I want to be cognizant of. Uh, but those are my three big focuses. Uh, and then, of course, beyond that, I, I think we've got to have some good uh, – you know, campaign finance reform to make sure that we're getting big money out of politics. And I'm also a huge fan of uh, getting involved in comprehensive immigration reform. So I want to touch on two of those last issues that you mentioned, um, campaign finance reform. Tom Cotton obviously takes big donor money, takes PAC money, corporate PAC money, not afraid to to attend those big dollar fundraisers. How about you? Are you going to swear off corporate PAC dollars or special interest money? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the only PAC money I would consider is uh, from nonprofits that have values that align with me, like Planned Parenthood or Human Rights Campaign. Excellent. And now I want to transition to talk a little bit about comprehensive immigration reform. Um, there's no denying it. We have uh, an issue with our southern border, even though Arkansas doesn't uh, have, share a border with Mexico. This is something that the president just continually talks about and harps on and uses xenophobic and demagoguery and, and racialized rhetoric. What is your stance on what we see happening and how can we fix this problem? Well, there's it's such a multifaceted issue, and and one thing I think is interesting because you know we we have a physical southern border, of course, but with the way transportation and jobs and the places that we have asked immigrants to come and do work for less money, uh, you know, are not all along the border. So uh, in Northwest Arkansas, where I live in Fayetteville, down the road is uh, Tyson Chicken, Walmart is here, JB Hunt. A lot of these companies uh, had migrant labor come and help get them started in different ways. And so we're two or three generations into our Latinx communities that you know, mostly start here as migrant labor, uh, setting down roots and helping build the prosperity that we have in the state. And uh, you know, I, we have a lot of uh, DACA recipients as well. And you know, these people have lifted everybody up with their hands and feet working hard. And they need the opportunity to become citizens and feel protected and safe in their homes. They have been working hard for us uh, with no aid. Uh, they pay taxes, uh, you know, and, and never have the opportunity for a refund. I mean, when people are doing everything right and they're contributing, I, I think it's terrible to uh, criminalize or demean them. Uh, on the other hand, though, you know, I think we do have a responsibility to protect, protect our border. Every country's got a right to do that. But we can make sure that when people come to claim asylum, they are met with dignity and that is handled in a speedy way. They're not being separated. Uh, I am appalled that we have tried to make crossing the border a felony. Uh, now, if you are running drugs or you're trafficking weapons or in uh, human trafficking or things like that, absolutely. But crossing the border is a misdemeanor and should be treated that way. Uh, the same as a parking ticket or a speeding ticket. It is not something that should criminalize a person. Um, 
So, you know, there, there's several ways that uh, we need to address this, but I think part of it is making sure that we do it with dignity. We do it with understanding that we're dealing with human beings in a lot of situations that are leaving situations that uh, we cannot imagine. Nobody chooses to cross a desert for three days in ungodly heat uh, because they like where they live. They do that because they were afraid of violence or famine or or even war or social upheaval in a way that their last choice was to get up and try to go to another country where they might feel safe. I love how you spoke about treating these people with dignity and compassion and uh, decriminalizing it in a way that it's no longer a felony. Um, It's essentially going back to the way that it was prior to Trump's zero tolerance policy. Um, I really appreciate also how you spoke about the migrant laborers that helped build the communities uh, you know, in, in your in your part of the state, but also all around America. I mean, that story is not too dissimilar from other towns and other cities uh, across the United States. Um, we're coming up on our time here, um, and I want to get a little bit more into your personal background here. Um, what do you want people to know about you that they might not know? I notice you have three dogs on your campaign page. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you're a dog guy. Tell me about that. Well, you know, I've got three dogs. We have a cat, too. Uh, you know, I grew up on a farm in South Arkansas, not a agricultural farm, but more like timber and uh, horses and things like that. So, yeah, I've got a, a lifelong love of animals. My wife grew up on a goat dairy farm, believe it or not. So uh, that's probably the best thing that could have happened to me because she grew up with dogs in the house that were the size of horses, too. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, when... When we got married or when we met, you know, if she was not a dog person, that would have been a bad deal. Uh, I don't think we would have made it. But, you know, we have such a wonderful time together. Uh, My wife is brilliant. She is uh, president of uh, finance at uh, Walmart's home office. And she has a nonprofit background like I do where she was working a nonprofit and wanted to try to figure out ways to disrupt healthcare costs and was like, well, how can I figure out how to scale that? Is there opportunities for me to go into the corporate world and be a, a progressive advocate for progressive policies mm-hmm. and see if I can change things from the inside, which is you know very similar for my own nonprofit background, looking about you know how can I change things from a policy side? Um, and so between our love of animals and our love of traveling and our love of Arkansas and our, our love of people, you know, we're very much partners in everything we do. And uh, I, I hope that everybody gets the chance to see her out there as the campaign goes on, too. She's far smarter than me and should be the one running for office. But <laughs> she can do this without me, <laughs> but I can definitely cannot do it without her. Let me put it that way. Well, for folks who are interested in getting involved and learning more about you, how can they find you online? How can they find you on social media? Yeah, uh, our website is joshuamahoney.com. And Mahoney is M-A-H-O-N-Y. Uh, a lot of people like to spell it with an E. Uh, when my family came over from Ireland, that was the spelling that they went with. And so we don't have an E in our last name. Um, and then on social media, on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, it's Josh Mahoney for U.S. Senate. My Twitter handle is at Joshua Mahoney. Uh, but, yeah, uh, please find us uh, if you feel like throwing a, a few dollars our way for the campaign. We are funding this with low-dollar donors. Our average donation has been about $33 per person. It's been fantastic to have that kind of individual support. Uh, But, yeah, anything and everything to help spread the word and be involved, I appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much. 
Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming on. And uh, as your campaign develops, we'd love to invite you back. Oh, thanks so much, Nathan. I'd be glad to do it. Awesome. And for our listeners, uh, thanks again for listening. Find us on social media at Malen Politics. Um, find us in iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, rate us five stars. That's how people find us. And stay tuned for our next episode. Mm-hmm.